0: Hi writers, welcome to our new episode on, the, on writing fiction, both novels and short stories. This is Jim Thayer. I'd like to talk today about a huge and important topic, and then later a small but still a strong technique for our sentence-by-sentence writing. First, let's talk about the wonder factor. The word tepid means lukewarm. Means dull, half hearted, tame. Tepidity is the enemy of fiction. Here's a good technique the wonder factor. We should constantly give the reader something to wonder about and even to marvel at, not just in the novel's large elements such as its plot and major characters, but in other characters and the settings and the actions and in the paragraph by paragraph descriptions. This thought comes from remembering going to the state fair when I was a kid. Uh, My mom and dad would take my brothers and sister and me and it was so exciting I was like a terrier at the end of a leash. The sights and sounds and the smells and the lights and the crowds, all the movement, everything swirling together, A main attraction at the fairs was that we never knew what we'd see there. The fair was out of the ordinary. Things we didn't come across in our uh, our daily routine the rest of the year. Of course, that's why we go to fairs. Not just the huge hogs and the goats with the big horns and the world record pumpkins, but also the weirder stuff with a a a win-a-plate-by-throwing-a-quarter-booth The odd food made of fried dough and whatever else the cook found to throw in. And most of all, the midway attractions such as the Fun House. What a spooky and wonderful place. Remember them? We'd enter the dark Fun House and there'd be tilting floors and dead ends and blasts of air and skeletons suddenly lighting up. There'd be spooky sounds, and the best of all was the mirror maze. And it was all outside our everyday experience. The reason a carnival or fair is so attractive is that it's, it's not our normal life. One of the reasons novels featuring circuses and fairs are so interesting is that anything and anyone can show up. And it won't just be ordinary characters. Oh, there are some wonderful circus and carnival novels. I've ho- I hope you've read Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray, Ray Bradbury, Night Circus by Aaron Morganstern Water for Elephants by Sarah Groon, uh, Nightmare Alley by William Lindsey Graham, Joyland by Stephen King and Bag of Bones also by Stephen King. I've read and enjoyed all these novels and a main attraction is that the plots are centered around a circus or carnival or fair and there's a parade of odd people and odd settings and odd events created by the authors. Maybe we can take a lesson from circuses and carnivals for our writing. Circuses and carnivals offer the offbeat, the odd, Our novels and short stories should do the same thing. The lesson is this. Offer readers something new. This doesn't sound profound, but for many writers it's a lesson they don't know. For some writers, there's a tendency toward the tepid. And the reasons, reasons for that, I think, are that vivid and interesting elements are harder to invent than everyday elements, and maybe the writer is more comfortable writing about everyday and common things, and maybe the writer doesn't realize the need in fiction to get away from everyday normality. We as writers need to resist the tendency to write about the normal. A writer's job is to entertain. A novel should be a constant parade of things the reader doesn't see every day. Why offer the reader experiences the readers living through now? Where's the interest in that? The odd is more entertaining than the bland. The unusual is fascinating while the common is boring. Uh, My suggestion here is especially important if we're writing a modern-day family drama or a modern-day mystery or romance, because those stories often feature characters of today and settings of today which might not offer intrinsic interest. There's not much interest for a reader by a setting if the setting is a classroom or an apartment building or an office or coffee shop or park. These are our real-life, everyday places. They are common in our experiences. Similarly, the, uh, similarly there's not intrinsic, intrinsic interest in, in modern characters who are like you and me. The parents, the, the siblings, the boss, the boyfriend, the police officer, the executive, modern-day people just like you and me. Where can we writers offer the reader interest? Where can we give the reader a new experience? How about in three areas? Characters, settings, and experiences. Let's talk about characters first. And as the first part of that, the description of the character. A human is a human, and it's easy to use default descriptions. Honey blonde hair, wild blue eyes, and a notch in her chin. Those are fine phrases as far as they go, but, and here's the key, even a skilled description with lovely phrases doesn't make a character memorable. Uh, Sharp writerly phrases for a dull character still results in a forgettable character. Norman Normal and Abigail Average cannot be made memorable, doesn't matter how long we look at the thesaurus. A novel has many characters. For minor characters, descriptions are needed, but not long ones. A good way to, to, to describe a minor character is the add-a-scar technique. Instead of a lengthy description, give minor characters a vivid aspect to their appearance, something the reader will Remember? A character would be memorable were he to have something unusual about him, such as a scar. Smith always appeared to be grimacing because of a livid scar that ran from the corner of his eye to his chin, which pulled down his lips on the right side of his face. Well, that's vivid and a memorable image. Or give her a tattoo of a red bull on her thigh, half hidden by her skirt. Or a finger with no nail. Or a laugh that sounds like a stick dragged along a picket fence. Or a three-carat diamond ring. Or a miniature dachshund she carries in a tummy pack. Uh, A limp or a vivid spray of freckles across her nose. An an ear that's missing its lower half. or, Or odd eyes, which is one blue and one brown. Give the reader something to wonder about in your characters. Uh, we can't give every character a scar, as tempting as that might be, because a writer doesn't want to be repetitive. But maybe a character always has a flower pinned to her hair. Another character limps. Uh, another character has a walleye, where one eye looks straight and the other looks off to the left. Another character grins all the time, even though she has no earthly reason to grin. It's just her default expression. Uh, another character has a red birthmark on her neck in the shape of a flower. These little vivid additions to characters are things the reader remembers. They're out of the ordinary. They work very well for minor characters in a novel that has a lot of characters, and they work for, for our major characters. And the second area where uh, characters can offer more interest and get away from the tepid, and we, uh, we apply the wonder factor, isn't just for physical descriptions of, of characters, but how about the characters' backgrounds? We can apply the wonder factor here too. Give the reader something to marvel at something to remember. Um, A key for most of us is to avoid lending our own backgrounds to our characters. Unless we were in the French Foreign Legion, or landed on the moon, or climbed Mount Everest, our backgrounds likely don't have enough juice as a background for our characters. I'm an example. Uh, I'm a novelist and a lawyer. I have a wonderful family, and I was raised by, a, by terrific parents. Nothing horrible has ever happened to me personally, knock on wood. The trouble, the trouble that is at the heart of fiction has eluded me, not that I'm complaining. There's nothing in my background worthy of fiction. I shouldn't base a character on me or any of my relatives or friends who come to mind you may be the same way. Actually, I I hope you are. We writers should remember our story is fiction. We can invent backgrounds for our characters that readers will find highly interesting. That'll be another fascinating aspect of our story. It's the wonder element. Uh, Every element in our novel or short story should be interesting, including our characters' backgrounds. Maybe we don't need uh, them to be a French foreign legionnaire, but how about your character being a large animal veterinarian, also known as a horse doctor, or a Las Vegas casino blackjack card counter, or a a dancer in cruise ship shows? Uh, How about having him be one of the designers of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the tallest building in the world. Or or how about uh, her being a, a cellist in the city's best string quartet or the owner of a fireworks manufacturing plant? We should add pop to our story with characters' interesting histories. And, of course, let me add this caution. Uh... A background, no matter how fascinating, is backstory, and there shouldn't be much of it in our story. Readers want mostly to know what will happen, not what has happened, and certainly don't place this background in the first pages of our novels. And this same technique, the wonder factor, applies to settings. Uh, Describing a sunset is a challenge for any writer, but when done, even when done with skill, with lovely phrases... All that remains is a sunset, of which we've all seen in abundance. Uh, Put a flight of bats in the picture, or a B-52 bomber, or a crow chasing a bald eagle, or smoke from a distant fire. Uh, In a living room, if if you must have a scene in a living room, uh, sure, have the sofa and TV, but also put the owner's, what, collection of World War II bayonets in a glass case near the TV, or, or a cage of naked mole rats near the hallway, or or the Sun's science project involving two dozen glass tubes and a gyroscope, or maybe a Derek Jeter bobblehead doll. And a third place we can think of the wonder factor are Is experiences in the novel. Our novel is going to take place while events happen, of course, some big and some smaller events. Our characters aren't suspended in space. They're usually doing something. Readers listen to them speak, but also watch them moving and living their fictional lives. We should try to show our characters doing interesting things, not everyday things. Let's say we have important dialogue between a mother and her daughter. Uh, instead of having the conversation during a walk together in the park, have them chatting while uh, the mother teaches eight-year-olds in an ice rink how to shoot a puck at a net. Or have the mother be a boat engine mechanic, and she's in the engine well of a 50-foot yacht and looks up from the engine at her daughter on deck while they talk. Or have have them chat while riding the octopus at the state fair. We should try to give the reader experiences the reader didn't live through in the past month. Something new and interesting. Uh, So so this is the technique, and it's an important one. Every element of our novel should be interesting. So we as writers should offer the reader something new. We should write about the fresh and the novel and the wonderful. Let the reader see and hear things and meet people she won't see and hear and meet tomorrow in her office cubicle or at lunch at Subway or in her living room under the reading lamp. We should give these elements some thought and reach for something new and odd and interesting, not just things we've been living through this past week. We should entertain our readers by ramping up all the aspects in our story. That's the wonder factor. And, by the way, the most entertaining story about state fairs I've ever read is by Gene Shepard. The story is titled County Fair, and it's in his compilation of short stories titled Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters, which is also the funniest book I've ever read. Let's go from a big topic, the wonder factor, to a small technique, but it's a good one. We should avoid sentences that signal inertia to the reader, that signal stillness. Uh, Sentences that signal inertia often include the verbs sat and stood. What's wrong with these sentences? Adams stood at the tavern's bar. Julie sat on the wing-backed chair. At the edge of the open pit mine, Joffrey stood with his safety goggles in his hand. William sat in front of the prisoner. The problem is the use of sat and stood as the verb they telegraph inertia and the reader isn't going to have anything interesting to watch that's what those verbs sat and stood indicate i've mentioned before that all novels need intense scenes of action all novels yes even literary novels even women's novels even romances even novels where a big theme is a big theme is important to the story and even novels filled with wonderful dialogue such as those written by writers famous for their dialogue such as Jack Higgins, Judy Blume, Barbara Kingsolver, Elmer Leonard, Toni Morrison. Action is usually the most interesting element of a novel for readers. They get to watch running, sneaking, fighting, skulking, jumping, racing, stalking, climbing, Falling, chasing, lifting, pouncing, and dozens and dozens of other actions. Action in fiction is almost always more interesting than dialogue, and certainly more interesting than setting descriptions or backstory or explanations or character descriptions. If our novel doesn't have a lot of action, physical movement, we may need to rethink it. And I'm not just talking about thrillers or horror or sci-fi and the other genres known for big action scenes. I'm talking about all novels. When our verb in a sentence indicates immobility, the lack of movement, the lack of action, we have sent a signal to the reader that there won't be motion in the sentence and there might not be action in the scene. The writer is signaling, is telegraphing stillness, uh, dormancy, inactivity. The verbs sat and stood ju- do just these things. Sat and stood indicate stillness, the lack of action. N- not all scenes in a novel can be big action scenes, of course, and they shouldn't be. Uh, readers tire of too much action just as they tire of too much of anything else in a novel. But even in scenes that Don't have big action. There can be some action, some movement for the reader to watch instead of the reader watching, sitting, and standing. Instead of Adams stood at the tavern's bar, try Adams lifted the glass from the bar, sipped it, and grimaced. Here, at least, is some motion, something to watch. Instead of Julie sat on the wing-backed chair, maybe this would work. Uh, The big tabby cat jumped onto Julie's lap. Isn't that a nice image? It's something to, it's some motion to look at. Instead of at the edge of the open pit mine, Joffrey stood with his safety goggles in hand. This would be better. His lips pressed together and his hands squeezing the safety goggles, Joffrey stepped to the edge of the open pit mine. There's something to watch. Instead of William sat in front of the prisoner, this w- would offer some action. Carrying a scepter, William approached the throne and a guard knocked the prisoner to his knees. Oh, that's so much better. Something to look at. So we writers should question our use of sat and stood. Can we come up with action, something for the reader to follow, even a small action, rather than standing and sitting? Those two verbs, the sat and stood, should be alarm bells in our heads, alarms that warn us to look for something else, some other verb, something interesting to watch. Let's change this subject, but another aspect of weaker writing Listen to these phrases from novels I've read recently. These phrases were such clangers that I made a list. Listen to these. Amanda looked distraught. Alex looked confused. John looked tired. Ellen looked appalled. (laughs) She, (laughs) She looked thoughtful. She had a look of alarm. He looked pensive. He made a very amused face. He looked thoughtful. uh, That's the second time I said that. Well, I read it twice. There it is. By writing these phrases, the author has defaulted to telling rather than showing. And phrases such as, Amanda looked distraught, doesn't create an image for the reader. The writer is essentially asking the reader to form an image of a face with an expression, uh, one of being distraught. That is, the writer is asking the reader to work, and the reader won't likely do it. And so the character's facial expression remains a blur in the reader's mind. The writer's job, our job, is to create images for the reader, and with the phrase... Amanda looked distraught, the writer's given up on her job. Instead of, Jones gave her a startled look. Wow, that's bad. Try this, Jones's eyes widened. Or this, Jones gasped. Or Jones half-stepped back. Or, Or Jones said, Jones said, comma, quote, Wow. The idea here is to avoid phrases such as Smith looked alarmed or Smith looked tired or Smith looked apprehensive. They're weak phrases of telling rather than showing and and they don't create an image for the reader. My cat Jack just jumped onto the desk. I wonder what he's been up to this morning. Well, I don't wonder. When I was in Africa, I learned that adult lions spend 80% of their time resting or sleeping. 80%. But lions are Tasmanian devils compared to Jack. I spoke about inertia earlier in this episode. Look the word inertia up in the dictionary and you'll see Jack's picture. But I know what's going on. It's two minutes to noon and Jack wants lunch, so... Here I go down to the kitchen. I'm glad you were along for this episode. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.